0: Hello, I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson. Thank you for listening. Uh, we've got a guest with us. Very exciting. Uh, thank you for, by the way, thank you everybody for sticking with me through the hushed tones of uh, the last episode. Uh, I, as you can tell, uh, I'm recording this in the, in the evening, uh, late afternoon, and uh, nobody is asleep, so I can be as loud and boisterous as I want. So anyway, uh, so we have a guest with us. It's my friend, uh, Benjamin C. Ben, how you doing? I'm uh, doing well, thank you. You're doing well? I'm doing All well. You're right. going to need to speak up if you want to keep up with me. I've okay. suddenly gained a great deal more energy since the sound check.
1: <laughs> since just a second ago. <laughs> uh, okay, Ben. Yes. So, how you doing? I'm doing well. Very, very happy to be here. Thank you for... For having me, uh, congratulations on everything, and I also want to congratulate you on now officially working your way through everyone who used to live in my old apartment.
0: Oh yeah, Slo- yeah, slowly but surely. But yeah. that's the thing is now you're moving in with a bunch of new guys. A bunch of
1: new guys. So I'm already
0: lining up guests for you. That's fine. One of them is 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 a blogger for the site already. Oh, that's right. So we'll we'll be fine. <laughs> um, all right. So let's uh, get to know you a little bit. Uh, you currently live uh, in Los Angeles, working as an actor. So what, uh, what brought you out here? How long have you been out here, first off?
1: Uh, we are coming up on five years. Five years. Yeah, which is, wow. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but in that time, you've had a, a you know, fair amount of success. I, you've, I, I you've, like to think so. You've gotten paid to work.
1: I've gotten paid to work, There yeah. you go. It, it took a little while at the beginning, but I, I, I on occasion, actually get paid to work. So,
0: so what, are some of the, uh, what are some of the more notable projects that, uh, that you've uh, been a part of?
1: Uh, well, probably the biggest one was I was on an episode of uh, season two of Mad Men. Mad Men on on AMC. Watch so, out! Uh, Emmy award winning, uh, Golden Globe, Globe winning show. So that's was, right. That that was awesome. It's a very very small part, but I was uh, I was absolutely thrilled uh, for 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 multiple reasons to be on it. And have since become a, a very very big fan of it that 's pretty much anyone who has ever seen an episode has in right. my opinion it's, a, it's there are an excellent people,
0: show there's some people who find themselves bored by the show. they say that not enough happens in mm-hmm. the course of a season um i but I heard that more with season one than season two. A lot actually happens in season two, yeah,
1: they really kinda they really kind of amp it up I think once they realize hey, this is going to be a thing so right. um but yes absolutely no, Quality show, <laughs> absolute quality. Yeah. yeah, I
0: may actually. Uh, I know that this is a a movie podcast, but I wa I may wind up devoting an episode to Mad Men, or an occasional, you know, the occasional TV series like The Wire, or Deadwood, or The Sopranos, or something like that. But uh, but Mad Men certainly is is a show that is it's popular, and it doesn't seem like it should be because it is it's a it's a it's a show all about subtlety, and everything is kept inside. You, you're mm-hmm. not going to run across a lot of crazy over-the-top emotions or anything like that everything you gotta look you gotta look closely it's definitely there you know the, right. the seething emotion <laughs> um but you gotta you gotta look for it i mean it's a it's a show that really makes you work for it and uh and when you told me that you that you were on the show even in the the limited capacity in which you were it was still very exciting uh you oh played... no
1: yeah it was a, it was a huge thing for me because um you know i it was uh it was on a much bigger scale, and you know, once you see the the, the show or you know, a show like Deadwood, um, you really see that on a weekly basis. These people are making essentially a short film. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's uh, extremely high production value. It's going to take time. I mean, costumes, makeup, hair. Uh, it's a it's a huge. It's a very grand scale. And so, even though it is a it is a TV show I mean the budget they have week to week is probably it's probably more oh, yeah. than a lot of feature films have yeah. uh so the attention to detail I was absolutely blown away by um and and obviously really really
0: enjoyed it being you know fairly still fresh and new in my career which uh and so actually we'll uh, we'll we'll start with that so uh so I'd say as far as, as, far as the, uh, the higher profile things that you've been involved in, I would say Mad Men is up there, mm-hmm. uh, and then you were in an episode of Veronica Mars. Uh, yes,
1: actually, how I got my sad
0: card. That's how. So. Okay, all right. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's a good performance. And now the, uh, the only other two things that I have seen you in are mm-hmm. things that are not really readily available to the no, public. No, no. Uh, hopefully they will be someday. <laughs> um, one of them is not that good, I would venture <laughs> to say, uh, but you're very good in it. So, um, but I, but let's, let's, uh, let's just go back to how did you, how did you get started, uh, in Hollywood? How did you go about finding an agent and, and that sort of thing?
1: Uh, well, before I came out here, I, uh, graduated from, uh, Elon University in North Carolina. All right. Along with a former guest, Sean Richardson, which That's is right. where I met him. And, uh, so there had been a couple of people who had come out here, uh, before me and um that's how I found my first apartment and after a while um a guy was like, um, you know, why don't you come in and, and meet my agent? And I was like, Okay. Yeah. And uh they um I went and read for them and they uh signed me, which was amazing because I walked in there with a whole bunch of uh plays from yeah. <laughs> <laughs> from 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 college. Uh I hadn't really done any film. I'd done one or two student films, but you know <laughs> uh not, nothing of note and they you know took me and yeah i mean i, I didn't have a, a sag card or anything like that so uh I, that's how i you know i found an apartment and i got in with with this agency and uh i just you know slowly started to audition so.
0: and uh and so you got veronica mars uh just you know the same way as as always uh your agent uh what is i mean this is very basic, but what does an, a- what does an agent do? Well, um, at least for me, an agent
1: helps get you auditions. Okay. Uh, so the, I mean, when you're starting out, yes, you want to be working, but you want to be auditioning just a whole lot more. Right. right? Uh, different people will give you different um, statistics, um, but it's usually you know something along the lines of you book one job for, I mean, I've heard between 30 to 40 auditions. Hmm. So uh, you want to be auditioning, obviously, as much as right. you can. Right. Um, I also was able to find some success uh, in going to workshops um, with casting directors. And hmm. that's actually how I met the one of the assistant casting directors on Veronica Mars. I went and did a, a workshop with her and they started calling me in for the show. And it was probably, I, I got called in a few times before I book the part that I got
0: part of Randy. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs> uh, which I'm pretty sure it was named, was named later. Um, yeah. And that's how I got that. But that's how you kind of get on, you have to get on people's uh, radar uh, to an extent. Uh, but for the most part, you know, uh, agents, because uh, they, you have to be an agent to receive word about certain projects. Like it's mm-hmm. not just out there. Um, you know, they get uh, emailed or, or sent to agents and then the agents, um, you know, up with their clients, if any of their clients fit, they submit them, uh, and I, you know, after that, I don't really know what happens, I mean, I'm (laughs) guessing their phone calls or emails or something, and then I get a call or an email from my agent saying, hey, you need to be here tomorrow at so-and-so a time, and I go and do my thing.
0: Well, and that sounds, I would say that that's based on what, uh, you know, what you have said and what Sean has said, Um, it, it sounds like, for any listener who uh, might be thinking about coming out to Hollywood to be uh, an actor, uh, step one is is trying to find an agent. I mean, because without one, you basically need to find auditions yourself, which seems like a full time job in and of itself.
1: It, it can be. I mean, the uh, the it's a lot easier now than it used to be. I can't mm-hmm. imagine being able to or having to do it, you know, twenty thirty years ago. I yeah. I don't know how. Uh, people did it. There's a lot that you can do online Mm -hmm. um, and submit yourself because it's mostly electronic. So it's like, hey, you've got your resume and your headshot and you can find various things online and these websites that you can join, uh, usually for like a monthly fee or something Mm -hmm. that you can submit yourself for. And many of those are the same websites that the agents use, but they just get more high profile. Right, right. They get access to more projects. But there's a lot that you can do uh, on your own now. And my first couple of projects, I did, you know, know, a lot of student films and things like that, and that was uh, stuff that I found online and submitted for myself, and they, Mm -hmm. you know, they called me, and most of it was for little or no pay, Um, but at that point, you you just kind of get the itch, and you're like, okay, I gotta, you know, I gotta do something.
0: Right. I mean, you kind of, you sort of have to be willing to take the hit financially just to get your name out there, to get some kind of work to Set up some some sort of connection with with people. So, um, so I'll ask you the same thing that I asked uh, Nathan and and Sean. Uh, as a as a Christian in Hollywood, has that has have your beliefs have, have your has your faith uh, impacted uh, your the work that you do? I mean, just whether it be the 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 parts that you that you want to play or the parts that you have gotten to play. Um, or something like working relationships, uh, has it had a positive or a negative impact on on your career at all? Uh, n- not to the extent that, obviously, you know, many of the things
1: that that happened with uh, with Sean, yeah, um, because that was very consistent uh, work for him. It has come up a few times. I remember uh, two instances definitely <laughs> uh, come to mind, but uh, I was very lucky. And that everything dealt with these were pre audition conflicts. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't already a part of, part of something, or I wasn't already even on set. It wasn't personal. Yeah. Um. These were basic projects that, are, or even auditions, really, uh, that I got offered um, that I um, turned down. Such as what? Uh, Which you can't believe when you're starting out. It's like, oh, I just want to audition. I just want to audition. Turn down an audition. It's to an an actor. It's 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 odd. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But the very first one. This was actually one of the first things that I got after I had signed with an agency. it was kind of uh, I don't remember a whole, whole lot of how it was described to me, but it was something along the lines of what we call industrials, mm. uh, which are a lot of times they're like uh, training videos, or you know if you've ever worked in a restaurant. And, I, I've written a yeah. lot of industrial, <laughs> and videos. it's like hey, you know, don't do sexual harassment. And you have to watch the video oh, yes. or, or or something like that. Um, most of those are you know professional actors who are trying to get their start, or writers, directors. And, you mm. know, a lot of times people work on this, and I got you know sent this project. It was going to be. Um, I'm not even. I'm pretty sure it was an audition, or at least I think they just wanted to meet me. But it ended up being for uh, what I very quickly discovered was essentially a recruitment video for the Church of Scientology. Uh huh. And I was, um, I was really nervous because this was one of the first things my agent had gotten me, and they, yeah. they they didn't know me, and I hadn't been. And this is you know something that I take full credit for. I hadn't been very open about uh, my spirituality and how. Mm-hmm. Um, that would, uh, minor or might not impact something. Right. I was just kind of like, no, I'm ready to go. <laughs> and so I get something like this and I, oh man, I got this. And I'm like, oh, it, it wasn't a question of whether or not do I do it. I knew that I wasn't going to. I and I called people, actually, I called, um, some actor friends of mine who aren't believers. Yeah. And I was like, would you do this? And they're like, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> And also, I just kind of asked like what the project would be like and what it would be used for, and they're like, "Well, you know, a lot of times they show that, you know if people come in or you know like basically like kind of like recruitment videos." And I'm yeah. not going to get into to you know how or or why they they use these, right. uh, but it was a very. You know, it was something that I didn't enjoy. I basically had to email my agent. I'm like, look, I'm sorry. We probably should have gone over this, but I'm not going to do this. And they were very receptive because they were like, you know, it was – however, it wasn't a whole lot of money. You know, they were getting 10% of however however much. And they're like, that's completely fine. Um, And, again, it was just like the process of it. The actual turning down was fairly um, easy. But I didn't like – I was like, oh, man, I dropped the ball on this one. And then there was another – uh, there was a, a web series that I was going to audition for that um, I don't know if it ended up getting made or not. I'm assuming that it probably did. Um, and I actually thought it sounded like a great concept. Um, and in case it did it did get made, I'm not going to go into detail. Yeah. Um, but there was a component to it, uh, you know, discussing very openly about sexuality, which I didn't have a problem with. I'm like, right. oh, this could be both funny and informative, to be perfectly honest, yeah. but the way that it was written and the way that the comedy was coming across, I'm like, mm, I don't <laughs> yeah. this. Yeah. You know, and, and I basically thought to myself, well, what is, is there any type of circumstance that I could do it? Mm-hmm. And it basically came down to, well, if I did it and no one ever knew, <laughs> and then I'm like, Ben, you're an idiot. Yeah, just don't do it. And again, it was a sim- it was a different agent, um, but it was a similar thing. I emailed them. I'm like, look, I'm very sorry. I haven't been, and they were like, oh, well, you're know, sorry. We you know we should have realized that you would have you know, a religious problem. That I'm like, well, not really, because I never told you. So, right. um, I did stumble uh, in the beginning, and that I just wasn't as vocal, right, as I should have been. But I, I had kind of been walking away from my faith for a few years at that point. Um, And it was a very personal thing. I didn't talk about it or anything. I I Mm -hmm. wasn't in the community. I wasn't going to church. I I was reading when I felt like it, (laughs) which wasn't very often. Uh, So those have been the only two instances. Other than that, um, it's pretty much I've been left alone. You know, the times when I have been on sets and I've been reading either like a devotional or a Bible. Um, If people have noticed, they haven't brought it up.
0: Okay. All right, well that's yeah, I uh that's that's something that's going to be uh, addressed. I, I have no idea when this will this will be, but uh I have a friend who was an assistant editor on uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. I don't recall which season, but he was the assistant editor for the whole season. And he got asked back for the next season. And uh and I'm somebody I enjoy Curb Your oh, Enthusiasm. Oh yeah, I, it I makes, like it, yeah. makes me laugh. I like but uh but he I, I think it was just the the nature of the show which ultimately there's there's no real depth to the show mm-hmm. um and the people that he was working with just were very kind of hostile to uh Christians though not him specifically just the idea of it uh and and it was like well so I would be working with people that are hostile towards me in you know in order to get out a product that while it is funny ultimately doesn't amount to much mm-hmm. so he wound up turning down wow <laughs> <laughs> yeah the opportunity to to edit for uh kirby enthusiasm and so um so that is that is a component to uh to being a christian working in hollywood is you got to turn things down especially my gosh scientology you make connections there you're set for life <laughs> from a professional standpoint right um so uh hats off to you for uh, <laughs> for avoiding that yeah i uh <laughs> i i I wrote some uh some industry about f- like fifty or sixty industrial videos for uh for the the private dental network. And uh, that oh, oh, wow. uh Yeah. So industrial films in general can be a little and I actually acted in a couple of them as oh, well gosh, and, uh, I need to see this. <laughs> You, you nobody needs to see this. Well, okay, um,
1: well, need is is, is, is is the wrong word. I want to see I this. think
0: if you go to the private dental network, they <laughs> might have a couple of the ones that I not that I acted in, but that I wrote uh showing and it's just and so it's just very it was one of the first things I did when I moved out here and uh it was very dis, it was very discouraging, but then of course, layer into that uh you know the the idea that you're working Literally, as a recruitment tool for, for Scientology.
1: Yeah, and I was like, I, so like that, it wasn't an issue of should I do it or not. Right. It was how, because I was, I was, you know, very young in my career, and this was, you know, very, very young with my agency. I hadn't been with them very long, so I didn't know, like, the protocol. Right. You know, like, I didn't know if they were going to be like, who are you to yeah. say, you know, we finally, you know, gave them, and you don't, you don't have any credits, and no one knows who you are, and this is just a quick, you know, quick day's work, and you get some money. Uh, The the, the second one the web series was a lot more about content right Um, and I was just like yeah, you know This isn't for me and I'm not knocking the project. I thought it was funny and if it's you know out there You know uh, good for them, but uh, yeah, you know just part way through. I'm like Yeah, this isn't this isn't for me
0: (laughs) So um, all right. Well, let's uh, let's see I think I think we'll go ahead and take a, a short break and uh, then when we get back, uh, we will talk about uh, kind of as a as a as a follow up to last week's discussion about in the loop and Doctor Strangelove and the idea of uh, of our attitudes towards war. Uh, this week we will be talking about uh, Catherine Bigelow's The Hurt Locker, uh, which uh, shows the impact that war can have, specifically on the, on those that are fighting it. So uh, so yeah, we'll take a break and uh, we'll be right back. Okay, we're back, so going to talk about uh, The Hurt Locker and its director, uh, Catherine Bigelow. When I when I hear her name, the first thing I think of is Point Break. Um, I, I don't think of her as a... I think of her as a perfectly competent director um, who has not really dazzled me at all. And then here comes The Hurt Locker, which as far as I'm concerned, uh, she should get an Oscar for. For it's. I feel like the film could... Be like a very good candidate to win picture, director, uh, certainly not a nomination for actor and probably supporting actor as well. Mm -hmm. I Uh, I completely agree. It's just a it's just a really remarkable film uh, and definitely one of the best movies of the year. And uh, as far as what we're going to be discussing today, which is the idea of uh, war from the point of view of the soldiers fighting it. uh, The Hurt Locker is one of the best that I've ever seen um i mean it's right up there with like you know saving private ryan or black hawk down or platoon um but uh those those films are all basically ensemble movies and the hurt locker is i mean it's really only got like three main characters and of and of those characters one is really mm-hmm. the central focus and it's really So for those that don't know, the Hurt Locker is about uh, the the most dangerous job in the military in Iraq, which is basically the bomb diffusers, the bomb squad. Yeah. Uh, So while, you know, while soldiers are out on patrol, they see something that looks like it might be a bomb or just uh, something that's just a little shady and they back off and they call in the bomb squad to just go right in. Yeah. And uh, and see what they can do about it. And it's just, I mean, from the film's first scene.
1: Gets you, gets you right from the beginning.
0: I mean, you, you start, the film basically, you start with, just with incredible tension, and it just remains like that for two hours. I mean, it does such a, Bigelow does such a good job of putting us in the mindset of the people that are there, which is, these you really don't know who's going to die and who's not, or, or when. I mean it could happen at any time. Just because a character is the main character in a film like this, he could still he could still eat it uh halfway through because such is the nature of this uh of this film.
1: And and the nature of not only war itself but specifically these this group of soldiers who you know right. who, who who do this for a living.
0: Right. And so it's it's just a it's I'll say this, it's a hard movie to watch. Mhm. Uh, I mean, there's definite characters that kind of give some motivations and you can kind of relate to them a little bit, but that doesn't make it any easier to, as it, than if you were watching just like a documentary. Um, and so, uh, spoilers, there's spoilers yeah, in every episode. Spoilers. I need to stop saying it, but, uh, just assume. No, I, I think, I think you need to. I maybe I should put it in the show description so that people aren't surprised. I was like this is more than one lesson with spoilers. But yeah, featuring spoilers. Featuring spoilers. Um, spoilers, oddly enough, was actually going to be uh, for a while was going to be the original name of Battleship Pretension. So I like that podcast. Oh, you mean Battleship Pretension? Yes, featuring me. Yeah, Tyler Smith. Yeah. Um, available every Monday. So. So basically, the, the, the main character, his name is William James, and he's played by Jeremy Renner, uh, an actor who I am I was vaguely aware of before. Y- yeah, I mean,
1: he's 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 been around for uh, a couple of years, in, in yeah. mainly in kind of a supporting...
0: Yeah, he was in SWAT. Yeah, uh, he uh, was in SWAT. As the villain. Um, there's a spoiler right there. Yeah. It's not revealed until uh, later on in the film. Yeah. Uh, and then he was... Uh, I don't remember if this film was straight to video or it was just on like the film festival circuit, but he played Jeffrey Dahmer.
1: Yeah. Um, I had heard about that, and apparently there was some controversy because people, some people thought that, I don't know if it was his performance or the overall film was, I'm not going to say nice towards Dahmer, but he, uh, sympathetic, sympathetic, humanized him a little. Yeah. I, I've only seen part of it, and I thought that he was great. I mean, I, I even liked him in SWAT. I'm like, wow, this guy's... This guy's really
0: good. <laughs> he does. He does really interesting things with his characters. Characters that seem pretty black and white, you right? Know, his uh, character yeah. Character in SWAT, it's like, oh, he's like if you just look at him on the page, well, he seems pretty easy. But Jeremy Renner really imbues him with something, mm-hmm. and and I haven't seen Dahmer, but I can only imagine what he did with with that character because I had heard that as people uh, going into the film expecting it to be just show him as some kind of crazy Hannibal Lecter like maniac.
1: Right. And it was more of kind of a of a of a biography and it is, from what I just know of his life I mean a tragic story of course, but no. a very a very interesting one. And as an actor, you know, I mean I've never I hope to play, you know, some villains someday. You'll get but, there someday, buddy. <laughs> but for lack of a better term, it's your job to make them realistic and that's right. gonna mean i mean maybe not sympathetic but at least put, putting them out there and be like hey this is right this and is this character and hopefully that you can identify with it on some level
0: yeah i mean you don't necessarily have to like the character you don't have to make us like the character but you do at the very least i feel like you need to show the audience where the character is coming from so that we know why they're doing this, we may hate the fact that they're doing something, but at least we see how the character got to that place,
1: and, and we do want to see what happens next. So we're we're invested with with them at some point, even if we're not exactly sure why. And I think in this film, he does that as well. Like we don't exactly know who this guy is or where he's coming from, uh, but we're we we want to stick around and find out. I mean, I was completely. I was there throughout the whole you know, movie went very quickly to me, and yeah. that's one of the w- ways I judge if whether if, if or not I think a movie is good is how many times I think about. It. So I think I've been here for like an hour, hour and fifteen minutes. I, like I didn't even really think about that, mm-hmm. like how long. I kind of wanted it to go on.
0: <laughs> well, and what's interesting is that the character uh, James, he basically so there's this this one specific uh, bomb squad. Uh, and their commanding officer or team leader, or whatever the, the title is, I don't recall. Um, he dies, as one would expect. Mm-hmm. And so then James shows up, and that's and that's the thing. He just shows up. Yeah, and I so mean, they he's, don't, he's
1: he's the replacement.
0: Yeah, they don't know anything about him, and we don't know anything about him. And he doesn't declare much about himself. He just does. He just acts. And then we have to, based on his actions, we have to figure out... Where he's coming from what his motivations are uh, and then only it only at the basically the second to last scene does he make a very clear statement about himself and even then it's not to an adult it's to a kid who can't understand what he's saying mm-hmm. um, but he's just he's he's a character who gains our sympathy loses our sympathy um, and ultimately, uh, what uh the the reason that I wanted to 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 talk about this film in relation to last week is that we see the effect that war has had on this guy. He has uh, a, wi- a a wife, right? Mm-hmm. I forget if it's a girlfriend or a wife. It's I a think wife. it's a wife. Uh so he has a wife, uh he has a son and and yet none of that seems to matter. He's been a part of war long enough, and specifically the, the very high adrenaline uh, factor of his specific job has made him something of, for lack of a better word, an addict. He just loves the thrill of, not just the thrill of almost dying, but he loves the thrill of figuring things out. Yeah, I mean, thrill. it's
1: it's uh, this is a guy who and, you know you've seen it sometimes in TV and the films who goes in this big bulky suit and, and it, which you would think I was like oh well this should be enough to protect him. You learn very early on it's not.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: and and at one point I'm like so exactly how much is this suit worth? Um yeah, but he he goes in there and literally when all the rest of the army pulls back, he's the guy who you know, he might as well be on a white horse. Yeah, he charges up to this thing, which could explode at any moment and do any number of things. And it's like you I, literally and I hate to use this expression. I was on the edge of my seat a lot of times whenever he walked up there because it's like, you know, where your death might what might come from. Yeah. you know It's not like a sniper or anything. Yeah. Uh, where you don't exactly know where you know where it might be coming from, but at the same time, you don't exactly know when it's going to happen. But it is a, a, a skill. I mean, people look up to these guys. They're kind of it's like, oh my gosh, you you know, you do that, yeah. Um, and he definitely likes that, yeah. And and also the actual act of it is kind of a loner. Yeah. I mean, even though he's part of a team. Um, I don't know if you would call him the leader of the leader of the team he's 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 like the specialist I think is what they right, right called it, and so basically like other guys find the bomb or what might be a bomb, and they um but then his guys kind of fall back and let him yeah. go forward so your <laughs> your closest allies what like fifty yards back behind yeah. you, and i mean they've got your back in case someone you know is is watching which which they usually are. But I I think the one of the most important parts of the film is kind of cueing us into what modern warfare mm-hmm. looks like. Um and this is a small part of it. I mean, you know, there are other components to what, you know, the the you know, wars in Afghanistan and Iraq are like. But uh and we were talking about this earlier, it's it's just changed so much the dynamic of war. Mm-hmm. And I you know, kind of started kind of around Vietnam. Gone are the open battlefields and yeah. the, the guys in different uniforms and yeah. basically marching in front of each other. You know, and you know who your enemy is here. Um, there might be something here, but I mean, people you pass on the street, yeah. uh, who you're technically trying to help, so that this doesn't blow up their neighborhood. Right. You know, anyone talking on a cell phone is a threat. Yeah. And y- you wonder about, like, these sh- reports of, like, all these civilian casualties that are coming out. Um, but these guys don't know. Yeah. Because um, a lot of these things, y- you quickly learn um, what they're basically waiting for is for the Army to show up.
0: Right. I mean, it's—and uh, that, that's one of the interesting things about this, uh, this bomb squad is that their job is not merely to go in and defuse the bomb or not— or you know assess the situation one way or another that's not that's not their only job like one of them will go in and work with the bomb the other two their job is basically to look to just look all around and make sure as you said that there's not like a guy with a phone or when people are sitting back and watching uh the the main guy the the bomb diffuser um they could be watching waiting for it to explode because that was their plan mm-hmm. or they could be watching out of curiosity there is no way to really know
1: right like and and you and it's not something that you know that we're used to because obviously we're not here but like this is this is a war um that is being fought literally on people's streets and in front yeah. of their homes and in front of their businesses so yeah you could be outside chatting with your friends yeah And something like this could happen, but at the same time, you could also be the one because you're not wearing a uniform, you know? It's like, hey, I'm the enemy. Yeah. Uh, Because now that, you know, in in the past couple years, like after the invasion, where there was, you know, army versus army, we're dealing with uh, insurgents. uh, We're dealing with, um, you know, people who are not obvious soldiers. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so a lot of their, you know, they're basically there to kill as many American yeah. soldiers as possible. And it's just, it's absolutely terrifying because, yeah, a guy talking on a cell phone who looks like he's just, like, having a cigarette and taking a break from his day outside his shop, you know, this is his home, his neighborhood, and you're coming in. Right. Uh, and even though you're trying to do something good, trying to defuse a bomb, you have no idea who this guy is. Yeah. And, um, and, and this is completely realistic. I mean, I remember one of the first stories I heard uh, it was after, um, you know, we had invaded. You know, our soldiers were handing out candy yeah. to these children. Mm-hmm. And I forget if it was a suicide bomber or, or like a, a planted bomb, but they chose that point to detonate it because yeah. it would kill soldiers, it would kill yeah. civilians, and it would make everybody look bad. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's tragic because you realize this is someone's home that this conflict is going on like right outside their door. Yeah. And they all know who these soldiers are just because they're Americans that doesn't mean anything to them. Yeah. And but the fact that you can't tell who your enemy is I mean I I of course you would get hooked on the adrenaline because it's the one thing you know of <laughs> that that's for sure.
0: It's the one thing it, it's the one thing you can trust because your heightened your heightened awareness is what is keeping you alive. There's uh, there's a scene where uh, uh, a higher up in the in the army is talking to to James and says and asks him how many bombs he's defused and he says it's like well over eight hundred yeah and the guy's just like he, he has an exact number yeah and the guy's like oh that's that's badass you know yeah uh and you and then like it, it's it's kind of a, a humorous scene but then you just realize like eight hundred and and you know however many forty let's say eight hundred and forty The odds are so stacked against this guy. Like, granted, all you got to do is screw up once. So that's 840 times that he hasn't. Mm -hmm. And just, and if you, honestly, if you go in and almost, and are basically staring death in the face 840 times, it's going to be hard to shed that. Uh, and
1: just the, the how that makes you feel and, like, walking back. Imagine walking back after yeah. having diffused this thing. Like, and people are like, yeah, I just did that. And that's why this commander uh, was a great – can we call that a cameo that
0: he – Oh, David Morse? David Morse. I, I would say that's a cameo. Okay,
1: because, because, like, it's one of those things where it's like, is that David Morse? Yeah. And But at the same time, this guy who's a seasoned commander, but he is mixed – it's a part that he wants this young, brash guy to, you know, give him give him some respect. But all of a sudden, he is impressed by him. Oh yeah. And it and it would be impossible. I mean, doing something like that, eight some on top. Like when he first walks up there, he's like, "So, like, how many of these have you done?" And Jeremy Ritter goes, uh, "Counting today's." <laughs> yeah. And it's eight hundred and 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 whatever. And the guy's like, "And that's counting today." Okay. Yeah. And. You really just and and I like how it just kind of presents it, like this is this guy, this is we only see what he says and what he does, yeah, obviously there's kind no, like inner monologue we only, right. and we're kind of left to to wonder, so there's the aspect of yes, he's maybe kind of addicted to the adrenaline, yeah. he also likes the he also likes the prestige. Um, He he enjoys being good at something that's so that's so important.
0: Right. I mean, how that's that's what that's another thing that fascinates me. I mean, uh, a a lot of there have been a lot of films uh, made about uh, when soldiers come home. And uh, and that's we'll we'll talk about that a little later. Um, There should be more films about that. Absolutely. And so and and. This guy is an expert at going in and diffusing bombs. Now granted, there is there is call for that uh in this country, mm-hmm. but I have to imagine it's mm-hmm. not the most marketable skill. Yeah,
1: not on a daily basis. You're not going to do you're not going to do it 800 times throughout right. your entire career.
0: <laughs> right. And so it's just you know, that that's that ultimately is what the what the film winds up being about is the effect that because what what we've talked about so far is a guy who lives in pretty much a constant state of paranoia and adrenaline. He never knows where the attack is going to come from, but he knows that it could it could come at any moment. There's a there's a comedian named Stephen Wright. Oh uh, yeah, who <laughs> has a, a a bit that I always found funny where he said uh, he said yeah. So a friend of mine asked me, uh, you know how how are you doing? And I I said, you know, that moment when you're leaning back in your chair and it starts to go back too far and you and you just catch it Mm -hmm. in that last moment. I feel like that all the time. Now, that to me is is funny. And it's one of the first things I thought of because he must James must live like that all the time.
1: And if that's what you're used to and you come home and you're dealing with traffic
0: jams
1: and yeah. and people taking too long in front of you in the grocery store. Picking a cereal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, you know, again, because we already said there were going to be spoilers, where yeah. he where he does come home and he's, yeah, he's like in the cereal aisle and there's this great shot of him and just as many kinds of cereal as you can imagine, and he just gets so frustrated and he just kind of picks one.
0: Right, because it's it's one of those things, like, he has had to make, he's basically had to spend a year, probably well over a year um, making li- where every almost every decision he makes is life or death, mm-hmm. and now he has to make one of the most innocuous decisions. Don't get me wrong,
1: I love cereal. I love cereal. Um,
0: <laughs> but we're but,
1: but we both have very strong opinions on cereal. I we, love we cereal. We really do.
0: Um, and so as not as as important as that might be to us, uh, to some it might be the height of, uh inane activities is choosing a cereal. And, and how do you ever, you know, and, and it must be frustrating to him where he's, as you said, he's given a lot of praise and he knows he can, he can see the job that he has done because the, the street is still there. So you he's got that situation in Iraq and then he comes over and, and he just has to make this decision. And what's more is he doesn't, he doesn't know, he doesn't have the criteria with which to decide, like, I don't know which cereal my wife likes or my son likes. Yeah, it's like
1: I don't – but it, it's it's like what – he has to take steps to a certain degree to always keep himself at that level because, right. one, it's safe. Two, he might be addicted to it. Like, yeah. it's just what he's used to. And so one of my favorite scenes is that they, they get through this really tough situation yeah. and, and they defuse this bomb and they're going home for the day and you're like, man, I would – me i would pray <laughs> yeah or i would call my mom or yeah. or something like that uh they wrestle these guys they can, and, yeah. and and they're drinking too yes you know but they but they they wrestle and it's like man don't you guys ever stop yeah and then you're like man when does he ever get his downtime and you see an example of him when he gets his downtime and he calls his wife you're yeah. like oh, okay this will be nice and touching and it's
0: it's like he has nothing to say to yeah, her and he, he literally hangs up yeah and, and she knows
1: it's him too.
0: <laughs> yeah, because chances are I mean it, it's just in one scene but my guess is this has happened uh, several times.
1: Yeah. And it's and it's like, you know, you kind of always have to be at that at that stage and and, and you don't exactly know it's like oh, well, well maybe he is a bad guy, maybe he doesn't really care about his his family back home, like the other guys are finally asking him, getting him to open up and he's mm-hmm. had a few drinks, so he's maybe being a little more A little bit more talkative, but you know, one of the characters is just amazing. He has a son. Yeah, he's like, "Oh man, yeah, I, I really want to, you know, be a father someday." And he's like, "Uh, yeah, it's okay." Yeah, and and of course at first like, oh, this guy doesn't care, but you really don't know. Yeah, and and to have something like that, and so they come home and how do they unwind? They. (laughs) wrestle
0: yeah and and of course the wrestling goes too far and it Mm -hmm. turns it turns from playful to literally violent
1: well because they have to keep one upping it's like oh well i'm tougher than this and oh well i can do this and how many times have you been here and you know he takes his shirt off and very proudly shows his battle scars i mean you know obviously nothing bad enough to kill him but you really wonder you know what it is like for these guys to come home, and and um, as I mentioned before, uh, not too long ago, I was reading this Newsweek article mm-hmm. um, that was talking about uh, you know soldiers who had the opportunity to come home and like their tours up, and they choose to go back. Yeah, um, and uh, they have seen the um, the divorce rate go up among you know enlisted military, and you know the suicide rate go up. And you're like, gosh, you know, to you and me, it's like, man, you do all this to get yourself back home, yeah, and then, you know, whatever life you have back then, you, you don't take advantage of, for lack right. of a better term, and you really wonder, but but some of these guys are just programmed to be soldiers.
0: Yeah, I mean, programmed is is the right word, and and I don't say that lightly. No, I under- no, I, I think it's an it's incredible necessary. quality. Yeah. yeah.
1: And one that I definitely do not have, which is one of the things I think we learned about in Vietnam, is you just can't take thousands of men just because they're of age and drop them in a war zone and expect to win a war. Like, this is a very specific type of soldier that he is, but I think in this new age of combat, you're looking for a different kind of soldier. And a lot of these guys, you know, they're military guys and they want to... Live on a base and live around other guys, and they don't want to go to the grocery store or have to deal with yeah. their wife or girlfriend yelling about something yeah you know they they know how to deal with those type of problems that's where they're safe so you're you're seeing guys go home uh their marriages fall apart, they try to do maybe a different job, and they choose to to you know reenlist or or, or go back and you're like why you know you just survive something yeah. Why in the world would you want to go back? And there are multiple reasons why.
0: Because ultimately it's it, it's what has been, you know, I've I've moved several times in my life, and I remember always thinking, uh, it's like as soon as I turn 18 and can move out of the house, I'm going back. I'm going back to where I came from, where my friends are. But then, of course, you know, you meet new friends, you get involved in, in things, and before you know it, home is, somewhere, is where you are now. Mm-hmm. And as insane and screwed up as war is, it is what you 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 become so accustomed to it that anything other than that seems uh you know seems foreign. And all and, of a sudden,
1: yeah, and you're like you can see even if these guys don't necessarily quote like each other, yeah, their relationships are well established. Very much like so. there's a bomb. I do this. You go here. He goes here. We do this. We do this every day. And the relationships are established, your relationship with your commanding officer or your relationship with, you know, the the villagers who try to sell you things like the relationships are established. And to go home and it's something like a marriage or like a, a you know father children thing where the relationship isn't as clear cut yeah. and takes a lot more work. Um, and these guys and I just think people in general, it's hard to work th- to work through. To find some type of therapy, mm-hmm. and like w- w- there is a character in the film who is basically like a psychologist, yeah, and he does his best, but you know everyone needs some type of therapy, and I'm not saying that that mean it has to mean that you go and you right. talk to a therapist, but everyone has something that they do to unwind, yeah, or to deal through the pain, yeah, especially if it's something like this where you're going to lose people that you care about. Yeah, everyone needs some type of therapy, and it's figuring out what that is. And some people never do.
0: Yeah, and it's uh, and it it occurred to me actually. I need. I, I feel like we should elaborate a little bit that uh, that the character of J- of uh, William James. He the way we've been describing him, he sounds like just this thrill thrill seeking selfish person.
1: N- oh yeah, and if we've done that, then we're doing him a disservice, right?
0: Because there are plenty. There are there are several scenes where he does something selfless, mm-hmm. like he he has a sensitivity towards. What other people need. Um, there's a scene where I, I won't give the specifics because it's one of the better moments, uh, one of the better scenes in the film. So I don't want to I don't want to spoil that because I don't have to. Where basically he and another guy are just sitting watching the enemy for what seems like hours, hours and hours in the hot Iraqi desert, and. He calls down to somebody else and says Hey do you have uh, anything to drink Do you have any uh, like juice boxes And one guy pulls up uh, A Capri Sun
1: It's uh, a great scene Yeah, and so,
0: and so you get a nice little moment Of humor as he's trying to like put the straw the In the straw Capri Sun in. which is of course Probably one of the most difficult things you'll have to do in life um, And so he does that And then he immediately Hands it over to his friend
1: Yeah who who For lack of a better term can't can't stop what he's doing right so he like holds the straw up to this guy's man he's like oh well thank you yeah and it's also you know it's again the relationship type of a thing so yeah it, if people think that he isn't so one-dimensional then we're doing him a disservice uh and a lot of these things he's realizing too like this is this is what i feel like doing and this is kind of surprising so no, you know he's a very complex character uh and that you know, a lot of these things are the, 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 that we see happening to him, I mean, obviously, they were just happening to him at that moment. And so he has to take them in and realize what's happening and what's going to happen next.
0: And and actually, it didn't occur to me until just now. Uh, in describing the scene where he is helping his friend and giving him something to drink, one could say that that is almost a fatherly instinct. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's something that he has inside him But when the time comes and he goes back home And he has to be an actual father He can't do it Because even though he has those instincts inside him The, the, the circumstances are different It's not that thrilling, adrenaline-fueled circumstance And so, uh, so that's So what's interesting, and I'll use this to kind of transition Into some of the other films, um, to quote a line from the other movie that we're going to be talking about, uh, when you know when you're there in the in the thick of it, all you it's terrible. All you want to do is get home, mm-hmm. and then once you get home, the only thing you can think about is wanting to come back, and and that seems so screwed up to us. But it's something that, that line, by the way, is is paraphrased from a line in uh, uh, the Paul Haggis film in the Valley of Elah. Um, with Tommy Lee Jones, and which which Ben and I uh, just watched, we had both seen it before, uh, but we wanted it to be fresh in our minds as we started talking about it. And v- very and it's, g- very
1: glad we did that.
0: Yeah, it's I-, I forgot how much I really love the film. Uh, Paul Haggis has his uh, has his detractors, but uh, I really feel like this the film is is better than Crash as far as it's it's you know some of the characters and some of the way and the way that some of them are written. It's much more subtle um and basically it's about uh, a midwestern man whose son uh is in the military and has just come back from Iraq and he is a wall and then suddenly and so he goes to find out where his son might be only to soon discover that his son has been very brutally murdered and here and here I mean, in the, yeah, yeah here in America yeah he made it out of Iraq yeah and that and then he gets killed here and so as he goes through questioning and I won't spoil what the ending is, but as he goes through questioning um some of his his son's uh, you know, friends in the uh in the army, it becomes very clear that just things are, are the mentality that they have uh is just so different uh than than it was before they before they left. They find he finds out that his son has is not only capable, but actually has done very, very brutal things himself mm-hmm. uh, in, you know, in Iraq. And, and he just comes to the conclusion that these guys are just, how are they ever going to adjust to life here? I mean, they just, the idea of, uh, the the idea is put forward by a, a different character that, that you just, you can't just turn this off. yeah. You know, uh, you're you're basically trained that your first instinct in tr- when you're in trouble is to fight and kill. That's and that's how you live. However long it is that you're over, you know, interact. That's that's how you live. Much like James, you you have to be in that constant state of readiness. Well, you can't just. It's not a a, a switch that you can flip up and down. Uh, you can't just turn it off when you come over here. And so, what happens when you when somebody who's been trained to kill and has been in a situation where they've had to kill? what happens when they get in a bar fight you
1: know or something like that i mean or or come home to their wife
0: or girlfriend or yeah, you know who, who maybe is uh is like not nagging. That sounds a little no, but, but still, but,
1: like you're not two people not used to being around each other, or yeah. even like his relationship with with his parents. We get a few, you know, flashbacks to uh, to to some phone calls. Yeah, and it's like you know they're speaking two different languages. Yeah, and and, and you know they're making an attempt to to connect, but they don't really know how to talk. About what's going on, and at one point Tommy Jones is like, "Oh, yeah, you're well. Well, you're nervous. You know, that's that's perfectly natural. You, you know, you'll be okay."
0: Yeah. Um, but the idea that just basically they've been trained that con- the the solution, the practical solution to whatever conflict, whatever problems that they're dealing with, uh, is uh, vi- is violence. I mean, there's a, a story that's a, a early on in the film. Uh, where Charlize Theron plays a, a police detective, and she's taking a, a report from a woman whose husband has come back, and the and their dog bit him, or or was that it? Yeah, the, mm-hmm. the dog bit him, and so he drowned the dog in the bathtub, and that she was really upset about it. And the other, the other police detectives actually find this kind of funny,
1: and which is why they give the case to her, right. because, because she's the only woman in there, and
0: they don't respect her. Yeah. And so, uh, uh, man, yeah, don't you love us? Uh, we're the worst. Um, and so, so basically, I mean, they view it as funny, and Charlize Theron doesn't even really take the case seriously, either, right? Um, because it's a it's a dog. Who mm-hmm. cares? But what's on un- what's underneath that is basically, oh, my dog has bitten me. I know what I'll do. I know how I'll solve the- solve this problem so that the dog never bites me again. I will kill it. I mean, it's just that's that's the default setting that he is on
1: and and it's like it even goes to kind of what we were talking about before what do they do on their downtime they wrestle a lot of times still they do target practice, yeah. you know this is how they spend their downtime so to go home and you even get into this uh into you know into uh, in the valley of Elah, you know, yeah, they will go and they will hang out and they'll go you know how do they how do they let off steam how do they get their therapy right well, when they're home it's you know bars and clubs and things like that, and they're still together. They're still in their same unit, but how do they figure out a way to uh, get therapy uh, in a constructive way? And, you know, it's not not a surprise that, you know, in areas around military bases, that's what they had. They've got bars and clubs and and gun ranges and and things like that. So it's kind of like your home, but things are still kind of...
0: There's a there's a line in the film where uh, it's it's been brought up that perhaps uh, uh, Tommy Lee Jones son is involved in drugs. Mm-hmm. And Tommy Lee Jones says, uh, the, you know, the army routinely tests for drugs. And then the, the character he's speaking to replies, uh, not when you're in Iraq. Yeah. You they, know? You,
1: they got bigger things to, to right. worry about. And and, you know, that is an area of the world. Yeah. With their tremendous amount of drug activity, you know, Iraq, yeah. Afghanistan.
0: And it's almost like the, the army is like, well, hey, whatever they need yeah. to, uh, As to take the, to kind of escape from this, we'll just kind of turn our head. And it's like, geez, that's really
1: scary. yeah, And and like, I'm not sure if this had been reported so much previously, but with Iraq and Afghanistan, you've been hearing not too many, thank goodness, but there have been reports of soldiers attacking other soldiers. I mean, at, at, at one point, a soldier was arrested for, like, throwing a grenade in, like, a tent with, with some of his platoon, and it's like, gosh, what in the world is happening to these guys?
0: Yeah, and it's... And, and that's ultimately the... This is
1: off the battlefield? This isn't, this isn't, like, yeah. friendly fire or something like that? This is guys
0: hurting and sometimes killing each other. Yeah, I mean, they're just... These are their friends it would have, it would well, seem well for lack of a
1: better term yeah. but but and we kind of see this in both films there's a difference between like a squad member and a friend yeah like pretty much the only thing i have in common with you is that without you i might die and without me you might die yeah so it's in everyone's best interest to watch each other's back right but you know if we go out to a bar and you say something stupid i will punch you across the face or i will pull out a knife or you yeah. know like you're basically you're not my buddy you're my teammate almost yeah. and you know just like how we have like professional sports and things like that just because you're on a team with someone doesn't mean you have to
0: like them and one could say that you know in the midst uh I, I hope i'm not giving too much away when i say this but in the midst of a fight between two soldiers it's like well you're in that moment the the instincts kick in and well you're not my buddy you're and and at the moment you're not my teammate you are my enemy and what do i do to my enemy i i hurt them, mm-hmm. you know, to the point that they can't come at me anymore. And so I, I feel like I feel like the idea that there's something deeply wrong with with these these guys, and that's not to cast dispersions on, you know, soldiers or anything like that. Well no, like and,
1: that. and and it's different with every conflict. Yeah. You know, one of the films that you and I both enjoy is the best years of our lives. Absolutely. Which is after World War Two and you're like, gosh, if anyone should be so happy to be home. And a lot of them are, yeah. but they go back to like uh, one of the characters was heavily wounded and he's got like a fiance that he's got to deal with. Yeah. Another character had, you know, married young before he went off to war and so he doesn't really know what this marriage is like. Yeah. Another one has to go back to a job, which is important but suddenly feels mundane. And I remember watching that for the first time and I'm just like, you watch films like Saving Private Ryan or, 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 or Platoon, and you're like, these guys are just doing what they got to do to get home. Yeah. And once you get home, everything's gonna be fine. And then you watch something like this, uh, or even something like in, in the Valley of of Ela, where you know guys are getting arrested and things yeah. like that, and you're like, dude, you're home. What in the world is wrong with you? Well, it's a completely different battle. And and to to maybe that's not the best analogy, but one battle is over, another one another one begins. Yeah. And one
0: that's one that's a lot that's one that's inside and thus not not as easily identifiable as a battle you know mm-hmm. that's one of the things about the best years of our lives is that some people just don't get it it's like well you're back now can't you just be happy like well you can't turn these things off and what's interesting is is one of the characters played by uh, uh, frederick march uh his character is he comes back he is well off yeah, he's, he's like b- a, He's
1: like a bank He's like a bank vice, manager or yeah, something like you know, that. And I he's mean, got a wife and kids. And yeah,
0: he's, he has a lot of money. I mean, he could just... He seems like the one of the of the three soldiers that come back. He seems like the one that's, that's in the best possible position. Mm-hmm. But the minute he gets back, he drags his wife and daughter out for a night on the town where he just gets really, really drunk.
1: Yeah, and because he's like, hey, you know, a bunch of the guys are going to be at this bar. Let's go here. And you're like... Did you want to spend time with your family? Like away from yeah, uh, away from the guys, but you know what? This is his his family now and there and there's another great scene where like he's he's in the bank and this GI comes in and he you know, he wants a loan for a business or something and the the bank won't give it to him. Yeah. And and you know, is like, you know, what in the world's wrong with you? He's like, well, he doesn't have any collateral. What do you mean he doesn't have any collateral? Yeah. And he tells this great story in the speech about how like he was ordered to take a hill yeah. And he's like, and it would never occur to me to turn to my CEO and be like, I can't take that Hilster. it doesn't have enough collateral. Yeah, you know, uh, and I am paraphrasing it of of course, but it's, yeah. it's 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 a it's a great speech. And you just you know, like after the war is over, you have to you have to readjust, and that's why so many people and you know, I was talking about in this Newsweek article uh, reenlist or or at the very least don't leave the army. Yeah, like there have been several films. Um, I didn't see stop loss, but about, like, guys trying to get out and can't. These are guys who, if you do a very hazardous job for a long enough amount of time, they give you the option of getting out. Yeah. Because (laughs) I think they kind of have to. Right. Um, And at the very least, they will stay in the Army. Yeah. Or maybe they'll train. But instead of, like, quitting and moving with their families and going off and doing something else, they will at least stay connected to it. And there are a variety of reasons for that that we don't have time to get into um that you'd probably need a psychologist or right. a, a military expert to talk about but like you, you don't exactly know why a lot of these guys reenlist cuz you you assume oh well as soon as I got my chance I would right. I would get out I'd yeah. I'd go back home well and in this day and age these soldiers that are coming home um, I mean, it's a different type of situation. So, like Tommy Lee Jones' character in, in The Valley of Vila was a Vietnam War veteran. I believe uh, I don't recall. Um, or he had been around at least for that. Yes, for that conflict. And so you would think, oh well, he might, you know he would be great about counseling his son or or these other soldiers that he talks to when he goes yeah. to investigate uh, his son's disappearance. But he can't. Yeah. And 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 someone's like, no, he would never do drugs, or no, he would never be messed up in this, or he would not be getting in fights. No, you know, he, he would he would never do that. And it's like, wow, not even Tommy Lee Jones, who is a veteran, his character is a veteran himself, is able to completely uh, identify with it.
0: Yeah, and uh, and it's and what's interesting is is discussing um, best years of our lives as opposed to something like the Hurt Locker and the Valley of Ayla is that. You know, you mentioned before that, uh, you know, like it would seem, it would seem like like a contradiction, but it's not. It's a different conflict, as you said. Mm-hmm. In best years of our lives, uh, Frederick March's character, he can't wait to hang out with these guys because they're the only guys who know what he's been through, mm-hmm. and so he treats them like friends, closer friends than in fact his family. Whereas in in the Valley of Elah and stuff. Yeah, you're you're with these guys, but you can't trust anybody because of the kind of war that they're a part of. You can't you literally will not let yourself trust anybody. Uh even somebody who's been there with you because the minute you start trusting somebody, you let your guard down, you get blown up. Um and that's that's one of the interesting things about uh about the 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 two the two wars and the effect that they as far as, you know, in depicted in film the effect that they had on on uh, the veterans but what what's interesting to know and I mean, also
1: our effect on on the veterans whether yeah. or not we agree with the conflict or not That's true
0: that's true and so and that's another thing is is uh, a lot of people i feel like with world war 2 well there was a clear there's a clear good guy and a clear bad guy and even though the good guy in this case you know the the allies uh, and i would say specifically the united states even though we did some bad things to some of our japanese uh, american citizens um, you know it's, uh, Hitler started it, and you know, and then we were attacked at Pearl Harbor and that sort of thing. It's just it seemed a lot more cut and dry, right? But just because just because the country is a lot more unified, uh, in regards to the conflict, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's easier for the for the soldier, uh, on a basic level. I mean, as we said, you know, this guy comes back and he just. He seems like he's got everything. It would just be easy for him to slip back into his life. The job is made available to him again. But he just gets, he just can't, he can't stop drinking, first yeah. off. And he just is so distant from his family.
1: And, and at first it's almost funny, like the very first scene, like yeah. his, his wife tries to wake him up and he's kind of stumbling around. you're like, oh, you know, Frederick March, who did a lot of comedy films during yeah. his career um, and did dramatic roles as, as, as he got older. And then you're like, you kind of stop laughing. Yeah. After a while. And it's kind of the same scene with their wrestling and like doing shots in the hurt locker. Like, yeah. oh, okay, okay, guys, you can stop now. You know, right. like as soon as it gets uncomfortable for us, it kinda of gets uncomfortable for them. Yeah. And you're like, Okay, I don't really know what to say to you guys. Yeah, right now. but it doesn't stop. It just no. keeps
0: going. Um and I and that's the thing. I remember um my my grandpa was in World War Two. I have to assume yours probably was as well.
1: Uh, he they, he was a trainer actually, a tra- okay. because as soon as they figured out that he could read and write, they made him an officer. Huh. And, well, this was this was Texas in the, oh, okay. and the and, <laughs> and 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 in the late 30s, and he had been he had been to he had had some college, I believe, at that point. Okay, and uh, and yeah, so it was a tough job for him because he was training these guys to and send, sending them over. Yeah. Yeah, these young kids. Enjoy. Yeah, and it was it was real, like he was like, Yeah, there was live ammo and live this and you know yeah. and, and training. So yeah, it's similar.
0: And my guess is is, you know, people our age, our grandfathers were probably involved in it in some way. Uh and my my grandpa, he was in the navy. He didn't see a whole lot of action. Um, but he saw enough and he knew I mean, guys. he was, he
1: was still in harm's way.
0: Yeah, and he and he knew guys that died, and I think there were a couple of a couple of attacks on like the ship that he was on and up until the end of his life he d- he passed away in 2006 right up until the end um not necessarily every night but frequently he would wake he would wake my my grandma up because he would be struggling in his sleep because in his sleep he was fighting somebody um so even you know 60 years after it was over he still couldn't couldn't get it out you know he still it was still there in his head uh you know just just waiting to come to the forefront of his mind and so so just to to wrap up all the stuff that that Ben and I have been talking about that, that that's we haven't even talked about the effect that war has on like innocent citizens mm-hmm. I, I we won't even talk about
1: that. Of which there are several in the Hurt
0: Locker. Like,
1: oh, yeah. Like, not everyone is is an insurgent or a terrorist or a bad guy. Like, again, yeah. this is people's neighborhoods. There are a lot of good, hardworking people who are just trying to survive. Yeah.
0: And they are, you know, and they get guns shoved in their face. They get accused. By
1: Americans. Oh, yeah. And, because, again, like, if you don't know who your enemy is and you see someone with a cell phone and you're near a bomb, you're going to be like, keep a gun on that guy. Well, you wouldn't like the soldiers very much yeah. <laughs> if they were doing that to you.
0: If you don't know who your enemy is, it's safer to assume that everybody is your enemy, um, and so, so like, so we're focusing primarily on the effect that war has on soldiers. And please note, the we're talking about the soldiers that live mm-hmm. and aren't even really that horribly physically maimed. Uh, we, you know, a little bit. Uh, we talk about that in uh, best years of our lives, but so that's what we're talking about. And so when I when I mentioned last week about how we as as Americans and as people like we can't treat war like just some concept. Just because, like, yes, I'm never going to have to fight a war. They, I have to assume they're not going to be drafting the, the film critics uh, or,
1: or or the actors.
0: I could see them drafting the actors, but just in a USO kind of well, way.
1: Yeah, I'd like to do a war film. If that counts. <laughs> Absolutely, you know, where they send you the like actors boot camp, which is not a picnic yeah you know, right, i mean right. they'll they'll send you away for like a month and you'll you know they'll treat you just like a soldier but you know that you know this has got a time limit on it
0: yeah that that might be a little easier to get out of your system than actual war yeah um but the just the effect that this has and it's not an, like let's say it's uh let's say somebody gets out of it they're happy to be home they're not addicted to war like the main character in the hurt locker well they're still they still have deep Psychological scars that will probably, if my grand, if my grandpa is, is any indication, will probably never go away. Even if the person is is very well adjusted, I mean it's it's a it has a lifelong impact.
1: And and for even something immediate like like the hurt locker, um, yes, there there's an, an addiction quality to it. But there's also like I lost guys over there, but I know how to protect guys, and I don't know if the guys I have over there can do what I do. Right. And, right. And and so you don't exactly really know. Again, the multitude of reasons why guys go back after giving the opportunity. To leave, yeah, a lot of it is very personal, but a lot of it is, you know, I know how to protect, and and right. I got to make up for losing this guy and for losing that guy.
0: The sense of duty becomes a, it's a personal thing, yeah. not so
1: much, you know, especially because of this conflict, it becomes about your buddies, or, yeah. or well, you said maybe they're not your buddies, your you know, squad members or, yeah. or your fellow soldiers.
0: Just the function of like, well, I successfully disarmed eight hundred and forty bombs. The next guy might not be so good.
1: So like even if he's only half as good? Yeah. That's too many bombs.
0: Yeah. And so 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 this is the effect that it can have just on the people fighting it, which is why I feel like in talking about war, we really need to think about the practical human impact. And like I said, sometimes it is necessary. Yes. All right. But it's but I would say you need to look at these specifics. Watch the Hurt Locker. Watch in the Valley of Elah, watch Best Years of Our Lives, Platoon, Saving Private Ryan. Uh, I would say The Thin Red Line, which is a film I love, mm-hmm. um, Black Hawk Down. Watch these and see that this is what war is. I mean, it's it, or as close as, as you can get to it, considering it's fiction. Right, um, no, but
1: still, like there's a scene in Black Hawk Down where Eric Bana gets yelled at for right. carrying his rifle around, like loaded and ready to go. Like, I think they're eating dinner or something. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, Sergeant, what are you doing? He's like, I don't put my gun down. <laughs> yeah, and
0: it should be noted that that character goes back into the fray because there's still guys in there and it's what he's supposed to be doing. Um and and so it's you know watch watch these movies and really you know really think about what what war means, you know, um because life you know to get really christian about it life is inherently precious and it has inherent value whether it be the life whether it be the lives of people who signed up to put their lives on the line or the enemy whatever the case may be life does have value and it's something that we shouldn't treat you know hastily or haphazardly you know we should right it it requires a lot of consideration Um, and so, and I'm, you know, and I'm not telling people what they should feel about the Iraq war or anything like that, but just in the future when talking about any kind of war, I think it's always best to consider the, the, the human impact that it has. So, and that's, that's what we can, what we can learn from, from these films. Um, and they will stay with you a very long time. I would recommend, I, I did not see Hurt Locker in the theater I, I, I did yeah <laughs> I saw it much like in the loop I saw it on my computer and uh, I can't imagine seeing it on the big screen but I would say it ha- it would have more impact to see it on the big screen it's still in theaters go and see it um, absolutely uh, Ben thank you very much for being on the show
1: thank you very much for having me
0: it was a lot of fun very interesting and uh, yeah and so everybody go and go and get uh, what season of Veronica Mars were you on
1: uh, season three.
0: Season three, an episode called Papa's Cabin. If I'm if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> wow,
1: that's impressive. Yeah,
0: that's right. And so, uh, so go rent uh, season three of Veronica Mars, and you can see Ben. Uh, rent season two of Mad Men, and uh, oh, now I don't remember the name of that episode. Uh, Maiden form. Maiden form. Uh, Just
1: be sure you don't blink too quickly.
0: Not all. True I'm at all. all You've <laughs> got your names on a door. You got three solid lines. Uh, you got a nice establishing shot of who you are and what you're doing. Come on now, don't be <laughs> modest. I've never been on Mad Men, and uh, there are plenty of people that have that have been on Mad Men that don't get any lines. So you're you're doing it. You're living the dream, my friend. So uh, well, thank you. It's no problem. So yeah, uh, thanks everybody for listening. You can email me uh, Tyler at morethanonelesson.com. And uh, just go to the website and uh, read the blog and participate in the forum and and all that sort of thing. So uh, thank you very much for listening and uh, I'll get you next time. Bye.